I'm Marie and welcome to the Cook Coterie Podcast. In today's episode, I have a chat with Philippa Robinson. She shares with us her experiences growing up with an alcoholic mother and how emotional trauma affected her physical health. We also talk about people-pleasing and perfectionistic behavior and how vulnerability enables us to find our way back to our true selves. Enjoy! Hi, Philippa. Welcome to the Cook for Me podcast. I'm so grateful and excited to have a conversation with you today. How are you doing? Hi. Yeah, I'm doing okay, thanks. Um, and thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here. When we first connected, I felt like you and I would be able to have a conversation about how the traumas and mental health struggles that we've gone through can actually affect our physical health. And so I was wondering if we could start with you sharing a little bit about your upbringing and your very first memories of your childhood. Oh, that's a good, um, you know, like a lot of, so, you know, I'm 53 now, so it's a long time since I was a child. But um, during the course of last year, which is 2021, I wrote I wrote my memoir, so I really had to think about my childhood and try and dredge up some memories. And I really, I mean, there are a few, there are a few that I've written about in the book, and unfortunately they are not particularly nice ones, but I really don't have that many memories of being probably, I don't know, up to about the age of seven or eight. So um, I, I understand that's quite... I believe now that that's quite uh, common. It's not unusual, particularly, I mean, apparently in any kids now, I don't know. I mean, my children remember things from when they were three or four, so I don't know. But I don't have that many memories, and I'm pretty sure I've blocked a lot of them out. But um, my mother was, you know, she was 21 when she had me, so she wasn't super young, but you know, that's still, you know, that's still quite young. And she married my father, I think, to get away from her parents, because back in those days, you you did, you know, you, ha- you basically had to get married to leave home. Um, and she was always, my lasting memory of her is always being quite angry. Um, I think now, with the benefit of a lot of hindsight, um, I can see that she was not happy that she had her own stuff going on. But um, she uh, she did once say to me, I think hmm, I was probably in my teens, I think, that she said, you know, having children so young ruined my life. And, um, you know, that's a nice thing to say to your... I, I mean, I might have been in my 20s, but I wasn't much older than that. So it was like, oh, okay, so I, I ruined your life, did I? I mean, that's how I took it. That's not actually what she said, but that's what I, you know, I took it to mean that sort of me being the oldest, being the firstborn sort of ruined her life. So uh, I've got a few memories, one of being pushed down the stairs, um, one of being chucked across a bed and whacking my head on a desk. I mean, she wasn't, I was going to say she wasn't particularly violent, having just told you those two stories. Um that didn't happen a lot, but those are my two lasting memories of my first childhood home. Um, she, div- her, and my father divorced when I was about six, I think. 
um after just a bit of arguing um i remember a bit of arguing for a few weeks and then um you know i came home from school one day and my father had just gone and then in my memory i don't know how long it was but it felt quite quick she remarried um we moved we moved uh, home we moved a little bit further um away from school and away from my friends and um two half brothers then came so there's me and my brother from being married to my dad and then there was two other children that came along afterwards uh, i do consider all three of them my brothers um my stepfather was a equally awful father to all four of us i don't think he prioritized them over us but I always felt unsafe in that new home. I always felt that my place was a little bit um, fragile. Um, I don't know. I didn't have an idea of where I thought I would go if I wasn't allowed to stay there. But I very definitely felt like I had to be useful. I had to be a good girl. I had to toe the line in order to be able to stay in this new home that was my mum, my stepfather, and their two children. I definitely felt in the way. And then on top of that, I didn't see my dad, my, my father, from about age 10, I think. Uh, and he was the nice one. <laughs> so I didn't see him. And my mum had always been a little bit of a drinker, I think. But the she really started drinking when I hit my teens. Um, and I was very definitely then living with an alcoholic at that stage. Um, and that was tough. The chaos, the not knowing what was going to happen next. The is she going to be in a good mood or a bad mood? Is she going to blow up? Who's going to have to do what to try and, you know, I did a lot of trying to keep the peace and trying to do things around the house before she needed to do them so that I was trying to make her life easier all the time. So, um, so yeah, that was pretty much how it was until I left home to go to university at 18. Thank you for sharing that and for being vulnerable with us. I can definitely relate to doing everything I can to try to keep the peace, to try to make things easier for my parents. But at the same time, that constant state of fear and unpredictability is extremely stressful for a child. Yeah. And I was curious if even after you left, home did you still have that sense of survival that you had to please other people yeah yeah I mean I didn't really realize whilst I was at home that I was doing it for survival I think I was just so it was just so ingrained that that is what I had to do I I mean I obviously was in survival mode but I'm I didn't know that at the time if you you know does that make sense Yes, yeah. It does. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I really was counting down the days until I could leave home. I mean, I, I, I you know, it was lucky that I was I, I was academic. I liked going to school. The teachers were nice to me. Um, I felt like I was at least um, doing, a, you know, doing well at school. So um, I worked really hard. Um, and I got into university and I was thinking, brilliant, if I could just get to university, everything will be okay and life will be okay 
you know, and I got into a good university. I went to do law and, um, you know, brilliant. Hopefully like this is where life starts. But the, 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 the trouble is when you grow up in a, um, an environment like I did, where I have adapted to always be pleasing other people and not thinking about myself. Also in a, an environment where, you know, there is no emotional maturity. There is there is no regulating of their emotions, let alone helping me regulate mine and learning how to be um, a unit, be with people, like have have differences of opinion, but 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 work your way through it. You know, there was none of that that went in our house. So of course, I left home at eighteen, thinking everything was going to be okay. But actually, I wasn't equipped with those skills to be with other people, and I carried on finding it very stressful because i I didn't know I didn't know how to um ask for what I needed from people I didn't know how to be in a group and be myself um as opposed to you know um changing being a bit of a chameleon depending on what the group needed from me you know was this the group where I was the mother looking after everybody or is this the group where I'm a bit of the comedian making everybody laugh or is you know which Philippa do I have to be today sort of thing so um and then and then you know uh, during the time at university during the big holidays so Easter and here in the UK Easter and Christmas and the summer we're not we're not allowed to stay at, at college and you go home well certainly in the first year you go home so I'd have to then go back and live at my parents and my mum would purposely move everything around in the house so that I didn't know where anything was and I'd be like going around the kitchen going in all the kitchen cupboards and she'd be like yes yeah, see this is what happens you go away and life goes on and you don't know where anything is now I mean that is such classic narcissistic behavior um not that I knew that that's what it was at the time and it just left me feeling really rubbish so as soon as I moved into accommodation I was allowed to stay in over the holidays I, I just stopped going home and a lot of the time I spent those holidays on my own because everybody else had gone home and that was more preferable to going back to my home so and then from there, I went to law school. Then from there, I went to um, start my legal work in a, a big firm in London. So which was really stressful, you know, it, and I have just lived, I think, until five years ago, I have just lived in that um, constant high stress, high alert, being a bit of a chameleon, not really sure who I am and desperately really trying to find my way through life whilst fully acknowledging on the outside it looked like I had it all sorted you know it looked like oh hasn't she done well she's gone to university she's a lawyer um I now live in Bristol um but you know when she's married and she's got kids and she's got a nice house and a nice part of Bristol everything looks fine you know but actually inside I'm still this panicky um little girl really who still doesn't you know who 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 doesn't feel loved thank you for sharing that i think a lot of our listeners can relate to your story of 
putting up a front that everything is okay but on the inside so many of us especially those of us who grew up with narcissistic parents or parents who were just emotionally unavailable yeah we are kind of starting from scratch as adults in the emotional health and mental health department and it can be very daunting and overwhelming so you spend most of your adult life in a competitive environment being a lawyer and doing well career-wise what was the turning point for you to realize hey i have all these invisible wounds and i need to deal with them (laughs) um I'd like to say I just, you know, got clarity one day and sort of realized that, um, oh, I have work to do. Um, but, you know, like anybody who's anybody who's been like where I am um, knows that that's not often how it happens. So um, uh, I, you know, I got married in my early 30s. Um, but before then I had, you know, a series of relationships that I thought would be the one. And then it doesn't turn out to be the one for various um, reasons. Two of them had been alcoholics, so I'd been saved there. But, you know, that's quite common to to pick in a partner something, you know, who represents, you, you know, you know, one of your parents, perhaps. So when I met my husband, who is none of those things, he, you know, he's a, he's a good man. And um, I think I thought well, this is it, everything will be all right now. Um, I I get married to this, you know, thoroughly decent, great guy. And I've got my legal career. Um, Then we, you know, we had two children. We were very lucky. Um, We didn't have any trouble conceiving. I know we were very lucky. So by 40, I just about got both my kids in and we were married. And, um, you know, it all looked great. Um, I had two under two. and two children under the age of two and you know that like you know that was quite quite full on so that lasted for a few years uh, and I sort of call it the fog of having very young children because you just literally feel like you're on a hamster wheel and as they got a bit older and things got a tiny bit easier this real feeling of I'm not quite sure what to call it. I don't know whether it was despair or disappointment or um, fear, perhaps fear that maybe it wasn't all going to be okay after all. There was definitely this feeling brewing inside me um, of uh, maybe I haven't found the answer. Maybe there is more. um, And knowing that I was unhappy and um, when I wrote my book last year, there was a few, I I noticed that there were, I didn't see them at the time, but I could see now that there were a couple of attempts through my life where I had tried to break away from my family or I'd um, shown some real feistiness rather than this towing the line and being nice all the time. And I realized that there's that bit inside me that really needed to get out that real me perhaps that needed to be out but was really buried and actually just before I move on I was actually not in touch with my mother for the last 10 years of her life and she is not here anymore but I did actually in the end completely distance myself 
but um 2017 um i'd had a good couple of years by then of feeling this feeling bubbling up inside me of really of anger a lot of the time i'd found myself just yelling and like thinking god you know it was almost like a night of body experience i could witness me yelling and being really angry and horrible but it was a bit like i wasn't in my body so i was definitely dissociating at that time so 2017 came on the back of this growing and growing and growing for a good couple of years and by that time my children were ele- 9 and 11 which is not a coincidence i'm told that they were about the age that i was when my life really so when i was about 10 is when things got really bad and my kids were 9 and 11 when in 2017 everything just sort of blew <laughs> um and what started that for me was that I lost a lot of the sight in my right eye, completely out of the blue. Um, It was a blood vessel that was growing into the back of my eye and leaking fluid, which was a bit of a weird thing to happen, but it did. And I was told that the damage that it had done to my retina was was permanent. And if they couldn't stop it, I might lose all the sight in that eye. And that was quite strange and it might actually happen to the other eye so i i just found myself in this pretty quickly in this you know cycle a real you know swirling down into this pit of despair that i was going to lose all my sight and that's when i realized that if i lost my sight i wouldn't be able to feel as useful as I had been I'm not saying I wouldn't be useful with no sight but just life as I knew it was really going to change and I began to question you know what was the point what was the point of me being around if I couldn't see and I couldn't do all the things that I was used to to doing and being there for everybody and helping everybody out what what was the point of me and actually I might as well not be here. And by that, I don't mean take my own life. I mean, not be here in my family. Um, And there was one crunch evening that I said to my husband that I was going to have to go and have, I was going to have to find some help because if I didn't, I would feel, I felt like I had to leave because the way I felt, the anger, the way I was being, I just, I just thought it wasn't a good environment for the children. Um, So, I went and found a therapist. (laughs) And what made you realize that connection, that you needed to see a therapist? Because it's your eye that has the issue, right? But where's that connection to a therapist? Yeah, very good question. You're the first person who's ever asked me that question, actually. Um, I... I'd been to the eye clinic. So when I when I was told what had happened and they, you know, then all the emergency stuff sort of kicks into place. And I, I went to a clinic and I'd been to a clinic twice and they couldn't quite decide what to do next. And I I was like so beside myself that I was like I was so frustrated after that second clinic appointment that that, that nobody could even quite decide what to do next. And it just, the anger just 
it, it, it made me realise how angry I'd become. It made me realise how um, how how awful my behaviour had got, and it 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 made me. I went, it made me want to go to therapy because I knew I needed to deal with the anger and the way I was feeling. I don't think I'd quite made the connection or certainly not verbalised the the connection between that and my childhood. Even then, age 47, I didn't really in that moment put all, join all the dots and work out that it was all from my childhood. I mean, I knew my childhood hadn't been great. I always used to say to people, yeah, my childhood wasn't great, but it's, you know, I'm here now and I'm okay. So I used to gloss over it like that. But yeah, I I, I didn't make that connection as such, but I just knew something in me knew I needed help. It can be a really powerful experience asking for help. Hmm. Could you share with us what you were feeling the very first time you went to see that therapist? So I would always say to somebody, if you're looking for a therapist, well, certainly here in the UK, you know, check a few out, you know, speak to a few. Um, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> I, um, I, I, I spoke to one um, or, or rather I left her a message. She called me back and she's the lady that I then went to see for three years. Um, the reason I chose her was because. Um, what happened to my eye happened in the January and the month before in December, somebody had um, told me that I, I might find it useful to read a book called Codependent No More by Melody Beattie. And that was the first time that I'd heard of codependency. I'd never heard of it before. I didn't mix in circles that talked about personal development, self-help, any of that. I I'd just never heard of it. And I read that book and... It, I mean, her story is very different to mine, but it was like all these light bulbs going off going, oh, OK, I think it was more of a problem. I think my childhood was more of a problem than I realised. But even then, I still didn't do anything about it. And it was four weeks later that I lost the sight in my eye. So actually, maybe I did. Maybe I did put two and two together a little bit more than I've just said I did because I had read that book. But I still wasn't sure that that's where the anger was coming from because I'd never really associated, like, I wouldn't have said I was an angry person. Um, not there's anything wrong with being angry. In fact, sometimes I think being able to, you know, let the let the emotions out is much more healthy than suppressing them. But I'd never really felt angry until, like, the last two years or so. But anyway, this lady was the therapist, was the only therapist in Bristol who mentioned codependency on the blurb. So anyway, that's why I went to her. So I went to see her first proper session. And gosh, that's interesting. What, how, what? Um, I remember sitting in her chair. She had one of these chairs that you could bounce a little bit on. And um, just sitting there and not knowing what to say. And not knowing, well, not knowing anything really. And she asked me to tell her a little bit um, of my story. Um, I can't for life of me now remember how much I told her. But I remember distinctly coming away from that first session with two, two, two thoughts that I hadn't had when I went in. One, my childhood was not okay. 
she said to me, you do know that is not okay, don't you? That that is not, you know, the sort of childhood that we, we you know, we would hope most children have. You, that was not okay. And secondly, she left me uh, with the imprint on my mind that change is possible. I, I just was so desperate to know that no matter how much it took and how many sessions I had to have and how many how much money it would cost me I just needed to know that it could be different and that change was possible and she assured me it was provided I was willing to do the work and that's what I did (laughs) um yeah I went every week for three years and that plus the work I did when I left actually which I think was probably equally as important um that changed it's changed my life totally Let's go back to what happened to your eye real quick. So you yeah. you had difficulty with your vision. You yeah. started seeing a therapist. Yeah. For the next three years, where what happened to your eye during those three years? Yeah, and actually another thing she asked me in the first session was, she, when I told her about my eye, she said, hmm, as therapists do, you know, when they sort of like nod very knowingly she said "Mm, I wonder what it is you don't want to see I was like yep (laughs) yep um and um what happened after that was they 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 decided on the the the, the treatment that I needed they they worked out what had happened or nobody knows why this uh, blood vessel grew I've got some scarring on the back of the right eye that nobody knows where that came from it's been there like years and years and years and years they think a new blood vessel had started to grow from that scar tissue had grown into the back of my eye and fluid was leaking onto my retina which is why I'd lost about three-fifths of the sight in my eye Uh, like when I looked straight forward if I looked straight at my children this always makes me cry when I say this if I looked straight at my children I couldn't see their faces their faces had disappeared and I was like gosh you know is this is this what it's going to be like now that I'm not going to be able to see them but what 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 they did uh, the treatment was injections in my eye right in my eyeball so they clamped my eyeball open and numbed it and uh, I had to have two series of the injections in the end so I had six injections of a weak form of a cancer drug into my eye which made the um, blood vessel shrink. So the blood vessel shrank, it came back out of where it was growing into the back of my eye and most of the fluid drained out. Not all of it, I've got, there is still a little blank patch, but um, to be honest, compared to what it was, it's, I don't even notice it now. And now my other eye compensates anyway. So this all happened in the January and by the July, so about six months later, I'd got most of the, the site. I got all the site that I was going to get back. Um, but by then I was well into therapy and, you know, there's no going back. Once you start, you can't unlearn these things that you're learning. So I was doing, I was, I, yeah, I was doing personal therapy. I also joined a therapy group. And I also started a counselling foundation course. And the whole the whole of the first year of that course was all about working on our own stuff. So I was doing it. I was doing loads of it. Um, it got a bit much actually at one point. But um, yeah, I threw myself into the therapy um, 
feet first. That's incredible, Philippa. And I was actually wondering, though, because earlier you had said you were so angry and extremely frustrated when you couldn't see. Looking back now, do you see it as a blessing that it was like your body saying like, hey, I need help. I need you to pay attention. I am absolutely convinced that that happened to my eye because I'd refused to look. I'd refused to take notice of anything else. I'd had trouble with my, I'd had plantar fasciitis in my feet. I've had trouble with my Achilles tendon. I'd had trouble with my back, but I just kept going because that's the only thing I knew how to do. Put my head down, carry on and pretend it's not happening. So I'm absolutely convinced that's why the thing to my in my eye happened. And my therapist helped me see see that um i was always at the bottom of my list i was putting everybody else first all the time and the what she helped me do was put myself at the top of that list and work out what i needed which was like she said to me what do you like doing for yourself what brings you pleasure and I just had no idea. I, I know it sounds really daft, but I had no idea because I was like for years, I just thought about everybody else. So I had to learn how to look after myself, how to listen to listen to what my body's telling me, listen to what I need, make sure I get what I need, because then if I'm in a much better shape, I can then help everybody else. Um, but if I'm wearing myself down and down and down, I'm no good to anybody. So by putting myself at the top of my list and making sure my needs are met, I was much happier. Like, I mean, that it took a couple of weeks, to be honest, a couple of weeks of, I mean, it didn't change completely from one extreme to the other, but it, it that had an effect really quickly. And um you know, I was much less frustrated, much less angry. And it just, you know, just got more, you know, better and better from there, really. And may I ask, when you say it's gotten better, does that include the issues you had in your feet and your back? Have those improved as well? Uh, so I don't have plantar fasciitis anymore. Um, and... Funnily enough, I've always had trouble with my uh, real, my lower back on my right-hand side. I've had trouble there for a long time. And I go to Shiatsu quite regularly. And she, the lady who I go to, said to me um, that that is where the body stores old pain, like old hurt. I don't have any trouble with that part of my back anymore. I do still have trouble with my Achilles, but it's the Achilles on the other foot now. And I think actually that's of my own doing because I ran, well, when I say run, I stumbled slowly around to 10K to um, raise some money for charity last year. And I think that's what's actually done my Achilles in. So um, I don't think, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's, that, that's what's done that. Um, but generally my body is in much better shape um yeah it's not sending me things to stop me and make me slow down and make me rest thank you so much for sharing that i 
I do want to add, though, for someone listening who might have different health issues and they might think that it's because of childhood wounds and trauma they experienced as a child, I am sure, like, Philippa will agree with me that it wasn't easy to get to the point where your, your physical health was now matching your mental health, the state of your mental health. No, it, well, I wouldn't say it was easy. Was it worth it? Yes. Was it easy? No. And I, you know, hand on heart, I don't know whether I would have, would I have done it? I don't know. Without without this happening to my eye, I don't know where I would be today. So I think you asked me, do I think it's a blessing? And I do think it's a blessing. Yes. Um, absolutely, because I would not be, I wouldn't be here having this conversation with you. I wouldn't be experiencing my life like I am doing now. I am so much happier, um, like beyond comparison, really. I'm not a lawyer anymore. I gave, I, I, I felt like I, I just couldn't do that anymore. I mean, it was time for a change anyway, you know, turning 50 and all that, you know, let's make some big changes. But um, I do think it was a, a blessing um but it it was three and then a lot of the self-coaching and a lot of the inner child work and things that I've done since I finished therapy you know there's a lot of soul searching and a lot of a lot of processing that needs to be done I'm still you know I I, I was triggered by something um only on what day is it today you know yesterday um I still get triggered it's not like they it's not like they magically go away but I I recognize it now I recognize it much sooner and I have ways to help me work through it much much quicker so it doesn't it certainly doesn't affect my life like it used to do I I definitely relate to that I as you were sharing I was remembering my experiences with one of my therapists who could notice straight away how tight my body was. Yeah. And so I think it was our very first session or the second session, but she had me lay down on her sofa. She had a sofa in her, in her office and she walked me through like what I was feeling in my body from head to toe and that was the first time in my life I realized, like, how tight I was. Yeah. And I used to go for massages all the time. And I even had a massage therapist say to me, you're way too young to have this much pain and this many knots. You're not even a professional athlete and you have all these issues. And I I remember when that massage therapist said that I, like, switched to someone else because that <laughs> that kind of constructive criticism because he wasn't trying to hurt my feelings but I felt hurt because yeah. it made me feel like something was wrong with me that I was in my early 20s having all these issues all over my body spending all this money to get help and it wasn't work and for my therapist to show me that my state of mind really affects what shows up in my body that was life-changing for me as well yeah yeah and uh, you know I'm sure that therapist who said that to you didn't mean 
did, didn't mean to cause you any angst or anything and make you go and find somebody else. But, um, you know, and there's a lot of talk of being trauma informed now. And, uh, you, you know, it, it, it drives me mad when things become very popular and everybody's saying it. But your therapist helped, you know, obviously was trauma is trauma informed and helped you see how it was in your body. And if that massage therapist had been trauma informed, he might have been able to give you the same message, but in a more gentle way that might have helped you put, you know, it's not his place to say, oh, so if you've got any childhood trauma, let me help you. But, you know, he might have helped you put a few more dots together. And um, when I said I was triggered the other day, I was triggered by a business coach who said something to me that just sent me straight back to being a child and not good enough. And I was like, you know, and I told him, I told this business, this coach, I'm not actually working with him. He wants to work with me. But I'd said to him, look, I've got a lot of childhood trauma. I need to not overwhelm myself. I'm really working on regulating my nervous system because that learning how to regulate my nervous system has really helped me not be in that high alert, you know, trauma response all the time. And the thing he said to me was just ridiculous. And I just thought, you know, if he'd had a bit more idea of what some people can go through in their life, he might have realized that what he said might have been a bit of a problem for me. And it was a problem for me. And I'm not blaming him because what, uh, but equally, I think there is a, a place for uh, people like me and like you who've experienced a lot of trauma in our lives to actually seek out people who are actually good for our nervous system and can work with what we bring rather than us having to fight against those feelings all the time that are coming up because other people are just saying what comes into their head does does that make sense i just think we should we we we, we could advocate for ourselves better it's okay to do that um that's what i've learned really in the in the last few years to sort of stand up for myself a bit more oh yeah I definitely agree with that standing up for yourself and also being able to practice discernment and recognizing oh maybe it's time for me to get help from someone else or a different organization or a different coach or a different therapist yeah and that it's okay to change your mind like that's something that has helped me in my healing journey like, I thought that my healing journey was just a set path. Okay, do therapy, do this. And, I mean, I was in therapy for six years, and this is something I've mentioned on my podcast before, and it didn't help me after a long time. And it wasn't until I worked with a coach that my healing was expedited. And giving yourself permission to try different avenues and different ways of healing, of getting the results that you want yeah that that has helped me a ton as well yeah because actually that is part of the healing as well us learning to be discerning like you say and learning to work out what we need and what is right for us and looking for that and getting that help and support from us for um, from whoever is going to be best for us at that stage where we're at we don't have to just put up with with things that are not serving us and that's kind of what we've done a lot of because that is what we know but that but it doesn't have to be like that moving forward Mm -hmm. 
we deserve we deserve better than that we do and and giving yourself grace as you figure that out Mm. you know because my very first therapist she and I did not click at all oh but I needed help so badly so I, I kept going and there was this one day I confided in a friend and he was like just get a different one and I was, he was like, I'm not your therapist, Marie. Like, stop telling me your problems. He's very straight up. And I was like, really? I can do that? He was like, yeah, you can. Yeah. And surrounding yourself with people you trust who do have your best interests at heart yeah. can also help with help people in the process of figuring out what their next step is in yeah. their healing journey. Yeah. Because it is a journey. I know that word is used a lot, but it is a journey and it's not linear. It's not just a straight line. Here you are. You want to get here. Therapy will take you straight there. It doesn't. It sort of goes, you know, winds around a little bit and you might work with this therapy therapist on this. And then you might go to another therapist and work with more somatic work. Or you might go and do some inner child work and you might do, I don't know, some EMDR. You might do all sorts of different modalities because they will all be taking you a step along the way and you know I don't know I I can't imagine ever not doing some work of some description I'm sort of you know a bit of a personal development nerd now and um you know I've just been doing a spiritual awakening type fit course because that's actually what's going on for me now I think when you start on this who am I now? I don't have all this. I'm not living in this active trauma. Who am I? Is like, I, I, I mean, it's quite confusing at times, but I'm loving this part of my journey and discovering who I am. Yeah, and it's incredible. Once you start, it's like there isn't enough time in the day to read books <laughs> and talk to people and have conversations like this. I can do this yeah. all day and all night. I love it. Yeah, me too. Philippa, thank you so much for your time. Could you share with our listeners where they can learn more about you or connect with you? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It's been brilliant. Um, uh, you can find me uh, at safeandsupported.co.uk. Um, there you're on that website. You'll find out more about you know what I'm up to now. The, there's um, a page about my book, also my podcast, um, and so, yeah, please connect with me if you want to. I love hearing from people. So that would be marvellous. Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Philippa. You are very welcome. Thanks for having me. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you love. For married women who have narcissistic parents, I have a Facebook community just for you. It is a safe space to learn about narcissism and heal with and support fellow cycle breakers. The link for it is in this episode's description. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next time.